the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's going to be a hot summer, but not when you're driving. BNR Auto is your first name in affordable AC repair in San Antonio. Located downtown at 2401 West Commerce, our specialists will check your air conditioning for free. Call us at 215-1519 for all your car or truck repair services. We do the repair work no one really wants to do, and we do it right. Don't drive in this heat. BNR Auto stands for Burr. Mention the Bible Live for a 10% discount. And now a word from one of our Bible Live sponsors. Our company is so proud and excited to sponsor the Bible Live. As a businessman, I have to make decisions every day about how to best invest time, personnel, and resources for the best return and results. The scriptures say there are two things on earth that will last forever, God's Word and the souls of people. It's my hope that you, your family, your church, and perhaps even your business will pray about giving a tax-deductible donation to the Bible Live at this time. Together, let's expand this historic broadcast of the scriptures to other cities across our nation. A sound investment for both time and eternity. You can donate by credit card at the Bible Live website, www.thebiblelive.com or mail your check for the Bible Live to P.O. Box 18888. That's P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas 78218. Welcome to the Bible Live Quiz Hour. It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible. The entire Bible every year. On Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. Some people ask questions from the Bible Live leaders. You call in with the correct answers and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of The Bible Live, your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Soapy Dollar. Okie dokie, thank you very much. Here we are good, thank you. Is my needle moving? You, yes, your needle is moving. <laughs> uh, uh, it must be a sign from the Lord that uh, you're, you're on for tonight for sure, and I'm not. Thank you folks for joining us. This is the Bible Live, the quiz show, and we are looking at some very, very interesting books of the Bible tonight. Uh, they, As I looked at them this week in preparation, Jacob, I, I my impression was... They're very different, totally and absolutely different from each other. But on another level, at another point of view, they're very much the same. We're talking about the books of, well, one, we read a few chapters, uh, a few verses to end up to finish the book of Nehemiah, which is uh, a remarkable book. We've been commenting on it the last week. That's what our program was about, the this uh, remarkable individual, Nehemiah, who gives leadership to the returning uh, exiles, those returning from the 70 years of exile in Babylon, 
and going back to uh, Canaan, back to the promised land. And so we've we've been talking about that. But then we we move from there to the book of Esther, which is remarkable about uh, people, the people of God living in uh, a godless world, a fallen world, a, a world where God is not recognized, acknowledged, and worshipped. Uh, in the universally or strongly, so they live in a very hostile environment. The people of God living in exile, and we we see this story from Esther. Uh, the people are living in Persia; they're living under a Persian emperor, uh, and it's a little bit from the elitist point of view, right, Jacob? Oh, yeah. We just oh, yeah. talk, it's it's all about uh, it's all about the emperor it's about the queen it's about people things happening at the palace at that level it isn't about the common everyday i mean directly it's not about the common everyday man uh the everyday uh jewish people trying to worship god and follow god and experience god in their lives there although it is and it it affects them greatly what happens in the book of esther but there there's one picture and then we ran over and read several chapters 12 chapters from the book of first corinthians which it the same is, although it's hundreds and hundreds of years later, it's about uh, God's people, people who want to know God and follow God, responding to the message of of, uh, uh, of the gospel, the redemptive message of the of the uh, scriptures, the Messiah, and so on. About people trying to be the people of God and live for God and experience God in a very hostile world, in a the Roman under the Roman Empire, and of course Corinth being a port city. Uh, a very immoral place and uh, the center of worship for false gods and, you know, with temple prostitution and all kinds of things that were not, uh, that went against the grain of, of those who would follow God and obey God and his commands. So we really, the two books have a lot in common. They're just from totally different eras and times. And I'm going to shoot you that question tonight that I, that you always kind of say to me that, you know, the Jewish people look at the scriptures, uh, and yes, the the message of redemption is there, salvation is there and all, but your focus and your primary emphasis is how we should live here on planet Earth. And yes. so I'm going to make that my question to you tonight. Yes. As we look at these two books, what does it tell us today here in 21st century America how we should live? Because here we've got, you know, a president who's been married, what is it, three or four times, and we've got all of this fake news, false news, we've got all kinds of scandals. Is it a complicated world that we live in, difficult? Uh, our culture, is, uh, society is moving away to some degree from, uh, you know, maybe more traditional faith in God and acknowledgement of God with our, in our public policies have to do with uh, we're re- redefining marriage, and a, lot, a lot of moral uh, questions at the heart of it. And so I, I'm going to ask you over and over again, and maybe we could ask our listeners too, what do these two books, Esther and Corinthians, with have a lot of a lot of to say about the environment we li- the hostile environment and how believers are to live in them. What do they tell us today about how? Do they instruct us? Do they give us any kind of guidance or hope or inspiration about how we should live today? So, well, assuming that we understand them, I'd say yes. Assuming we understand the books, yes. Okay. Well, that, that we were that's talking about that on the elevator. Uh, yeah. Because uh, if you don't understand it, then you miss the lesson. Or well, that, <laughs> yes, I, that's one of my questions because we all understand it at deep le- at different levels. Wow. Now you, you obviously clearly as you look and you and I, I will, I will go ahead and say, include myself. We're 
we're uh, professionals in that sense. We've looked into the scriptures deeply. We study them deeply. We've looked into original text. We've l- looked into translations and the transmission of the text, the archaeological background and all these sort of things. But most people in our world today haven't done that. I mean, they, they're they just really living their lives and trying to, you know, be faithful and good in, in, in their marriages and their homes and their families and keep a job and, and support their families and be good people and help so they don't live at the level of deep, deep involvement with the Scriptures. And so uh, it, it it leaves me sometimes a little confused because uh, I speak, as I was telling you, I speak week to week with hundreds, literally hundreds of young I men and women. I speak strength to strength. So, go ahead. No, no, you said you speak week to week, and I try to speak strength to strength. <laughs> yeah, not W-E-A-K, W-E-E-K. Every, every week. No, I'm, I'm, ju- I'm uh, just joking. Yes, I know, but, but I often but think I do want to say I've had bad allergies, and so I sound a little hoarse tonight, and so please bear with me. I was going to say you never sounded better. That's... Mm. Yeah, so I'm going to try to keep allergies, I guess. <laughs> well, the, yeah, that's probably a good thing. But anyway, let's talk about that. We're, as again, folks, we're talking about the books of Esther, chapters one through ten, the entire book, and in the the books uh, uh, the book of First Corinthians, uh, chapters one through twelve. And by the way, you know, they you were, know this is it's a great thing you're saying because uh, you always say you don't plan this, but it is fascinating that the overall topic, the framework you talked about, about how can we understand and apply it today. Both these books do address that because there's something I discovered in look, preparing for Corinthians tonight that I haven't, frankly, I, I had never seen before. And I went back and did a lot of research this afternoon, and it is there. And what I caught was a couple of Jewish references in the book of Corinthians, and I thought, you know, this is not what I was told this book was about. Mm-hmm. And then we go back and look at Esther, and we'll talk about that. But Esther is exactly, and I brought in, as you know, I stopped by a bookstore and bought a Catholic Bible so I could prove what I've been saying, that there is a second adaptation of the book of Esther. I brought it in and I saw we could look at it. Right. I know I've said it several times, but I never brought it in. Yeah, you've mentioned that before, and I've always kind of asked you, really? There's that, uh, 107 additional verses uh, added to the right. To the book of Esther from right. the Hebrew version uh-huh. to a later Greek right. version. That's right. And in uh, some of those, and I was asking you, what difference do those 107 yeah. verses make? Yeah. And you're going to explain that to us maybe uh, well, during the I, hour. I, I hope I will. Okay. Well, let's give some people some questions they can chew on out there and oh. uh, get a few questions on the airways. I have two questions from Psalms. Nine, the, the Psalms 94 through 95, those are the uh, the wisdom and worship segments that we covered, uh, Psalms, and then the Proverbs 19 and 20. I've got some questions there, and, and then uh, maybe you have a question or two I from have Esther and uh, Corinthians. Mm-hmm. Learning from Israel's experiences in the wilderness wanderings, we look at Psalm 95. Uh, learning from the from Israel's experiences during the 40 years of their wandering in the wilderness under Moses' leadership, we are warned in Psalm 95, verse 8, we are warned not to do something in particular, something that they did there in the wilderness. And it, it is a phrase in, in 95, Psalm 95, verse 8, what is it we are warned not to do? And my second question is really, Based on that same phrase, what does it mean? What does it mean, uh, the, this warning that we have in Psalm 95? So those are my two questions from the Psalms. I have one from the um, 
Proverbs, Proverbs 19, verse 11, that uh, to demonstrate good sense and to earn the esteem of others, you should restrain your anger and overlook something. There are certain things we should overlook. And I'm right in the middle of something right now going on in my life, in our personal life, in our family, that I'm I'm wondering about this. Uh, People, uh, you know, my children and others commenting on the way I'm handling it, they're going, Dad, you know, you're just letting, you know, you're letting people kind of walk all over you, you know, so on and so on, take advantage of you. And and I'm wondering what, if this verse ca- Can I help has some relevance. Can I help you with that? I, I'm, I'm not shy about telling people to stop. Say again? I'll help you with that. Give me the guy's name and number. I'll call him. <laughs> okay. We might do that. I've thought about you several times. Well, let's go to the books of Esther and Corinthians and let uh, Jacob get us into the deep weeds of these passages. You want to go Esther first? Or? Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. All right, there's a couple of uh, ver- very interesting verses. Uh, let's do uh, year number two. Okay. <clears throat> I guess I'm sorry about being hoarse, but uh, what queen did Xerxes banish and why? Answers in Esther one ten through 12. Okay. What was the name of the queen that was banished? Uh-huh. And then why did Xerxes here, why did he order her to be banished, and, and it gave rise to the whole book of Hadassah or Esther, you know, because she comes to replace uh-huh. this uh, this ban- banished queen. So, uh-huh. a- as I learned later on, she was actually reinserted uh, uh, from secular history. The uh-huh. idea is that Vashti was later on recuperated her power. or was She did? Uh, that's what I've read. Wow, uh-huh. then we have another resurrection on our hands. <laughs> okay, because okay. your the Jewish record is that she died or was well, yeah, but you know, a lot of Christians tell us our books are not complete because there's some a guy resurrected, so maybe she did too. Oh, uh, that, I see. You, you, as as my three and a half year old grandson says, oh, you're teasing me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I uh, I understand that she. Okay. Uh, she she didn't make it through through the whole thing. So. Okay, all right, well, but I could be wrong. Well, look at it; it's doubtful. But go ahead. Okay, how about your number eight? Uh-huh. What did Haman hate about hate Mordecai and the Jews so much about? Why and did he hate Mordecai, uh, right. Haman, this guy named Haman? Uh-huh. And why was he uh, so uh, biased or uh-huh. prejudiced uh-huh. against the, the Jewish people? Right. So that's a good question from Chapter 3. Oh, and wait till you find out who they really are. All right. Well, it's a fascinating story. It makes the story come alive. But, and that's what we Oh, need. that's why Vashti came back. Chapter 3, verses 2 through 5. Okay. No, yeah. So, uh, exactly. And I'd like to, the one that always, we, we're very familiar with casting lots. Okay. Let's do your number 19. <laughs> okay, good. What does the word Purim mean? And what does the Jewish festival by that name uh, commemorate? It's in 9, 23 through 28. Okay. And you'll help unscrew the inscrutable about that for us. We well, wa- yeah. yeah, we want to know. That, I mean, because you celebrate... That's celebrated to this very day. Oh, around every, the every year, every year, and it is uh, it's rabbinical. It's not biblical, but so it is a tradition. It's sort of like what I call a Jewish Halloween. And, and another, but in another point of view, it's 
it's almost, I mean, it is biblical. I mean, it comes right out of this well, story. Well, it is, but the ones that are, they're not like where God said, you shall do this on yeah. this day. This was later tradition and really is established by Esther herself. And the rabbis adopt. So it's more or less rabbinical. It's man-made. Mm-hmm. It's a tradition. But it's not like where God says, hey, on Passover, you got to do this. You know? I've heard that it, I read somewhere that it's one of the few that is celebratory. Mm-hmm. But I I had a totally different point of view. I thought all of the Jewish festivals to some degree are celebratory except uh, Yom Kippur, which is fasting and serious contemplation. Right, right, right. But the rest of them all seem celebrating a harvest, celebrating God's goodness and faithfulness. I've, yeah. uh, I've heard that. But then I read somewhere that Purim is different in a way that, like you said, it's almost like kind of a Jewish Halloween day. Well, it's, it's a fun holiday, especially yeah. for children, because uh-huh. every time... You come to the name, you read the entire book of Esther, and every time you come to the name Haman, everybody stomps their feet, clamps, hits the table so you can't hear his name. In other words, to obliterate his name. (laughs) Yes, yes, I get it. Okay, well, that's from the book of Esther, those three questions. How about Corinthians now? Oh, how about about those Corinthians? (laughs) Okay. Um, Still crazy after all these years, yeah. That's right. Okay, here we are. Let's take a look at, uh, and this one I'm going to be interested in your answer. Hmm. You're number three. Mm-hmm. How is it, and this really goes to the issue about Good. Uh, knowing the Bible, not knowing the yes. Bible. And I think this is what, well, I'll let you make your comments. But number three, how is it that we know God's thoughts? And uh, that's that's in chapter 2 of Corinthians, verse 12 through 16. And I'm going to be especially interested in your thoughts on that. That is, spe- that is especially poignant. Let me, let me, I'm going to, if you don't mind, I'm going to take just a moment. To, a lot of people trip and stumble over this, this passage, because they, they read it and they go, what in the world does that mean? And maybe I should ask our listeners as well to comment if they'd like. But it says... Um, When we tell you these things, Paul is talking now to the people of Corinth, believers. He says, when we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit himself, using the Spirit's words to express, explain spiritual truths. But people who are not spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. Those who are spiritual can evaluate all things. Why? But they themselves cannot be evaluated by others. Why? For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who can who knows enough to teach him? But we understand these things, for we have the mind of Christ. And so, boy, Paul makes a statement there that a lot of Christians stumble over. But he doesn't just say, I have the mind of Christ. He's saying believers. And he's talking to, these aren't extraordinary believers. These aren't people... On the high line, these are people who, in fact, he's cor- writing them the letter to correct them. There were a lot of problems they were having in the church in Corinth, but he includes them in the phrase, as believers, we have the mind of Christ. And a lot of people, what in the world could that mean? In what sense, in what way do I have the mind of Christ? So I'm, I'm glad you asked that. It's something that we should well, talk I'm about. I'm going to be interested in your thoughts because okay. I, uh, I, I, every time. I'm sitting by somebody, and they say, well, God's talking to me. I look for another table. <laughs> uh, but the, cause, and I'm not sure that, and I'm afraid, from my perspective, that's become some kind of a substitution for not having to do diligent study. 
Yeah, yeah, it, it is a conversation stopper. Yeah. In the moment that people, someone says, "Well, God told me that," yeah. there's therefore there is no more conversation. There's no more yeah. because that's. An, I mean, if God said it, I mean, there's nothing to be said after that. Well, yeah. So that we throw that around a little bit. You know the old joke, right, about the insane asylum? That there's a guy in the hallway who says he's, you know, Jesus. He's walking up and down the hallway saying, I'm Jesus, I'm Jesus. And somebody says, how do you know you're Jesus? And he says, well, because God told me. And the guy from another room yells out, I did not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. All right. Uh, not not trying to be irreverent at all, but it, it, it's funny. But the, on the other hand, Jacob... <clears throat> As people of God, as the people who, I mean, people who love God, want to know God, serve God, it's, is it not true that we can commune with God? We can pray. We can hear his voice. And, and of course, we need to test that voice. I mean, how do we know this is from God? And that's one reason we have the scriptures. They're, they're a good plumb line to, to, to weigh, you know, because today... Young people in particular. Um, my son told me, Dad, when you were young, your problem was to know what to believe. In our times, our problem is to know who to believe. There's so many voices. Oh, I like that. He's, yeah, there's so many voices, Which so many opinions. The oldest. Are, uh, Does he Scott. have a name? Scott. Oh, Scott. Scott okay. said that. He, and he said, it's, there's so many voices, so many opinions, so many truth claims, so many theories, so many philosophies. And this generation, I like that. they hear so and much more. And I think more. there's something to that. Yeah, I, I do believe. I've, I, I heard it, and I thought, wow, that's, I believe it. These guys, they're subject, this generation is subject to so much more information. Yeah. And, and so we need to have a plumb line. We need to have some standard by which we can evaluate all of these opinions and truth claims and voices and philosophies. Uh, and, of course, I believe, truly, I do believe that that is where part of the importance of God's word is that, uh, it, it, we can weigh those philosophies and those thoughts against the scriptures, uh-huh. uh, but uh, and but at the same time, you don't disallow the whole idea that. Ha, let me ask you this: uh-huh. Has God ever spoken to you as a believer, as someone who loves uh, God and um, walks with Him? Spoken to me? No. No, I don't mean spoken in an audible voice. I'm talking uh, about God communicating uh, something. I've to had you. what you might call for lack of a better term, a mystical experience. Uh, in fact, uh, mm-hmm. I, I went back and verified it three times because I thought I'm, I must be having... Never mind, I, let's not get into that. But uh, I can't <laughs> say I had... Uh, he's never spoken to me, I don't think. If he has, I have not listened. <laughs> you, you, you weren't listening and you didn't recognize it. Well, here, I guess what, maybe we just have two different views on this. In the sense of uh, what the Christian or what what the a person who loves God and knows God is in touch with God uh-huh. should expect, it seems to me that we should expect to hear from God. Yeah. And I'm not talking in the mystical sense. Yeah. I'm talking about every day from the moment I wake up. I say, you know, God, this is your day, and and I'm, I'm your man. I swing my legs off the edge of the bed and I say, what do you have for me today? And what are you going to teach me? And as I go through the day, the people I meet, the you know, the wind rustling in the leaves. I mean, the, God can use a lot of different things that I see and come across experiences, and 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 teach me. And and oh, this and it and of course it often takes me back to the scriptures. You know, the, oh this and I. So in the sense, I call that hearing from God. God speaking to me. He's teaching me. He's guiding me on an ongoing day. In other words, it shouldn't be for for a child of God. It shouldn't be unusual to hear from your father and. 
and to learn from him? Well, I'm always very, very suspicious when I hear somebody say something that does not seem to line up with what's written. Well, now, now that I am too. I, and I had that same uh, discomfort that you do when someone says that because I, my mind immediately goes to, okay, does this line up? With what the person is telling me, does it line up with? And before, and by the way, I want you to know I did answer your question out of respect for you, but I, you, I I've only mentioned that to two or three people my mm-hmm. whole life, and if anybody calls in and asks me, I will not discuss it. Of what that experience was, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, but anyway, I, I guess what I'm talking about is on a much more less mystical. Shouldn't it be kind of a normal thing for God's people to be in touch? Remember. To, uh, what is his name? Tevi from uh, Fiddler on the Roof. Uh, yeah. is, is his name Tevi? Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. He's this Jewish man who loves God. If I were a rich man and all those wonderful songs and so on. But uh, sunrise, sunset. Oh, I love that song. For, That's for, a great for song. Wedding songs and all. But the point is, is that he goes along every day talking to God. He carries on this ongoing communicate ongoing conversation with his god and you know and he takes practical things and deep things and he presents his mar- he talks about his marriage to the lord and and so on and and you know i know we're your chosen people but why do you always have to choose us you know that sort of thing and so he has questions for god and so on so and i guess it's to be assumed that it's not a one-way conversation that God speaks back to him, and he gets impressions from the Lord based on the word, yes, not contradicting the scriptures, but so is that not a part much of Hebrew or Jewish thought that we that we hear from God, that we walk with God, that we kind of on a regular, not, not extraordinary, you know, vision like Daniel or something, but just as the people of God being... Actually, if you talk. look closely at Daniel, you know what Daniel actually says, because people do quote that. Uh-huh. Daniel doesn't actually say that. Daniel says he got it from the scripture. True. So yes, but uh, so I've always found that fascinating because people say, "Oh, he had this mystical experience, etc." But that's not what he says. Right. Well, it, it, to a certain degree, it's mystical, and to, to a certain degree, on the other hand, that's why we well, have here, this okay, objective let's, measure. Let's take a walk uh, off a short gangplank. Okay. <laughs> uh, there's a, a tradition in Judaism called Kabbalah. It does not enjoy a favorable reputation among many Christians because it's considered to be mysticism, let's say. Huh. And uh, But I will tell you this. Among the few Christians, we even know what it is, of course. Well, I mean, you know, everybody knows. The people that know the least know the most, you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, but, uh, <clears throat> but the... Amen goes there. <laughs> yeah. But so what I have discovered is... Holy Spirit idea that Christians mm-hmm. talk about lines up with uh, the idea of Kabbalah from the Jewish perspective because it's the spiritual side of the body of the Torah. Isn't that interesting? Yes, it is. Hmm. And we could discuss that further because the Holy Spirit is a is a major theme in the book of Corinthians here. And uh, we'll talk about the, you know, the what does it mean that we have the mind of Christ? And um, we'll explain that a little bit further in the and program. We'll want it back shortly. 340-9585. If you want to join us, 340-9585. Don't go away. 
Dr. Stan Shelton with offices at Loop 410 and Broadway has taken care of the Dollar family that's Suzanne and me plus our three children for the past 25 years. Suzanne, tell the folks about our dentist. Well, like you say, Dr. Shelton is a dentist for a lifetime. He's got the latest technology. He's busy, but I've never had to wait. And I never dread going to the dentist. In fact, he and his staff are so personable that I actually rather enjoy it. Go to DrShelton.com or call 590-7878. Recently on Washington Watch Live, Tony Perkins talked about the left's need to label everyone and the negative impact it's having. We've talked about that, how I think the... The, the left and using these labels and spreading them so generously that they're diluting its their effect. And, and they're just, you know, they're, everybody they disagree with, which increasingly is more and more people, they slap a label on them until basically, you know, 75% of America is walking around with a label uh, for this uh, 25% of uh, extreme leftists. And you know, people look around, wait a minute, you got a label? I got a label? Uh, but you're normal, I'm normal. Uh, you know, so I think they are starting to see that the, the people here with the issue are not the ones that have had the label attached to them, but it's the people attaching the label. You can find out more when you visit TonyPerkins.com. Dennis Prager here with an important message. We spend our whole lives taking care of those we love. However, statistics show that over half of all adults fail to have a will prepared. Giving the gift of a well-prepared estate plan is one of the most loving things you can do for those you care about. So let me introduce you to Charlie Weisinger with Weisinger Law Firm. Charlie is an estate planning attorney who takes the time to get to know you and your family and your goals and desires for them. Charlie makes the process simple. Most clients have a plan in place in as little as two visits. Give Charlie Weisinger and his staff at Weisinger Law Firm a call today. Your first consultation is free. Weisinger Law Firm is conveniently located one mile north of 1604 in Selma, Texas. You can reach him at 210-308-0800. That's 210-308-0800. Or online at WeisingerLawFirm.com, W-E-I-S-I-N-G-E-R, LawFirm.com. As we all grieve the tragic loss of Officer Miguel Moreno and pray for the recovery of Officer Julio Cavazos, it's natural to ask what we as individuals can do for our community of brave first responders. Well, we can offer prayer and comfort. We can also be a positive resource for healing. This weekend, consider joining with the 100 Club of San Antonio to assist the children of local fallen heroes. Find the link to learn more at am630theword.com. And remember, when you hear a siren, say a prayer. Join Barry Bass every weekday morning for the KSLR Morning Ministries, including Through the Bible, Renewing Your Mind, Truth for Life, and Focus on the Family. Weekdays from 6 to 10 on AM 630 KSLR and KSLR.com. Listening to the Bible live with Soapy Dollar. And we are back thanking you for joining us here on the Bible Live. Well, We're looking at the books of Esther primarily, Esther and then the book of First Corinthians, and we've kind of 
tied a link between them because these two books both have to do with God's people living in a hostile environment. Uh, in the book of Esther, we have the people of Israel in, in uh, exile in um, what was Babylon, now it's become the Persian Empire under the Medo-Persian uh, conquest of the Babylonians. And we have this, uh, this individual, this young teenage girl who is who would never have dreamed in all her young life that this was going to happen to her, but uh, she is swept into the political chaos of the Persian Empire, and she actually becomes the queen of Persia, uh, the wife of uh, uh, Ahasuerus, uh, Xerxes, the uh, Persian emperor. And it's just an, uh, it's an astounding story that we can read in the book of Esther, and uh, there are lessons that we glean from it about God. And one of the characteristics of the book of Esther I've heard, Jacob, is that uh, it doesn't ever reference God. You know, it doesn't, I guess it's almost a criticism of the book or something. And I think it has to do with these two versions well, that you're talking are, about as I, well. Like I say, I stopped to pick up the Catholic version so you could, I could show it tonight. And there, there was the Jewish version. And then later, some time later, there became the Greek version. The Greeks added God where they thought it should be. The idea of Esther, actually, in he- it comes from Ishtar. Uh, but Esther, her real name was Hadassah. But what's really going on is it is uh, the main root word from the word Hester in Hebrew, which means hidden. In other words, it was meant that God was hidden in the book because in the Jewish version, he's not mentioned. And the reason for that, it's meant to teach that many things you're doing, even if you don't see God involved, he's still involved. Now, when the Greeks got a hold of it, I guess they thought, well, those silly Jews, they forgot to mention God. <laughs> so they went back and they started, they put all these verses in what the Lord did and the Lord said. Now, both versions have been officially accepted by the Catholic Church. But that's why I brought it in, because I wanted everybody to see that. The, but this is the question that's going to your early premise. How, right. how do you know what you're reading? How do you know it's true? I wouldn't have the guts, frankly, to go back and tamper with the Word of God. I wouldn't. Mm-hmm. I'm always amazed. Well, there are warnings in the actual well, scriptures yeah, about sure. that sort of thing. But I'm always amazed how somebody thinks they have the authority to do that. But it's, they they do. It's, uh, it's uh, uh, very pretentious, to say the least. But let me ask you this. Yeah. The version that I have in my Bible, yes. is it? More in line with the the Hebrew earlier Hebrew version. I don't know the answer because I have not looked at your Bible, so I don't know. Oh, I see. But uh, I'm going to. I can tell you. I'd like to know about most of our, you know, New American Standard and so on. The NASB will have the Jewish version. Okay. Uh, the Catholic the Catholics are very honest about it, like the Bible I brought in Uh tonight. I saw that. They list that they've got both here. Um, I would say, in all fairness, that uh, most Protestant Bibles have the Jewish version. Mm-hmm. The easy way to demarcate is if if it says something about God, then it's not the Jewish version. Because the idea of the story is to teach us that God's involved even if you can't see him. Yes. Okay. And, and, and there are, even like in our version, even in, in uh, there are these there are little hints, although it doesn't blatantly say, you know, God is there, this or that or the other. But uh, Hadassah, when she uh, when she gets challenged by her older cousin uh, Mordecai, for such a time as this, Hadassah, Esther, you've been 
You've been there given you this place of influence, uh, this special moment to be not only a, a kind of defending of the, the Jewish people, but if we think the bigger picture, uh, the redemptive plan of God was somehow tied up as well with this people group, the, the Jewish people. And uh, the, someone there is, I think, that there's the diabolical intention behind it. We see a number of these throughout the Old Testament. God, the, Satan, or the the enemy of God and the enemy of God's people, is trying to cut off uh, not only, it's not just against people, Jewish people, it's against the redemptive plan of God that is God has had an investment in this people group because he's going to use them as an instrument of revelation and to bring Messiah, to bring the redemptive plan to fruition in time and space, in history. You know, and and this is another attempt to cut it off. Talk about time and space. Here's a little tidbit that people don't know about Esther. Don't worry, this is not some magazine at the cash (laughs) register. Okay. Um, We know that Haman, actually Haman has three different names in the book. Okay. So when you're reading, you think that this guy suggests to the king, hey, you know, you need to get rid of Oster because the woman will dis, uh, rebel and that kind of stuff. That's actually Haman. That's Haman yeah. as well. Okay. So, but uh, he's got a different name because he's playing a different role. But Haman is a descendant. He's an Amalekite, right? Yes. But he's also the descendant. I do remember them. Okay. Well, and he's a descendant of King Agag. Yes. Remember him? That Samuel killed. Yes. The prophet. And Samuel because had Saul to, uh, uh, right. refused to do so. So he is, Haman is a direct descendant of that king of the Amalekites. Okay? And as you say, Samuel told uh, Saul, hey, you kill him. You know, he's bad. Uh, and he didn't. So, yes. now here's the interesting thing. You know <laughs> what I'm going to say? Well, I'm guessing you're going to say if he had obeyed God, uh, none of this would have happened. None of this, maybe this, but then Samuel did kill him. Samuel did, however, uh, his descendant. He didn't kill his children. That's right. That, okay. And so what happened is, but Mordecai is a direct descendant of Saul. Is that right? Yeah. So when you said a minute ago, someplace in time and space, you said this will be corrected. Well, this is the meeting of them, the descendants again. And this is not the only time in the Bible this takes place. One that you'd be very proud of is uh, Jacob when he meets up. Well, I'm up. proud of that one, to be honest. That's pretty amazing. I mean, it's an astounding thought. Yeah. Well, Jacob meets up with Esau, remember, and they yes. split up. And he says, oh, you go on, I'll catch up with you. And But in the Bible in Genesis, they don't seem to. But when do their descendants meet up again? Uh, let me see. Uh, it's Jacob and Esau. It's Joseph. It must be Joseph no, and no, somebody. No, no, no. It's, it's Jesus and Herod. All right. So, see, yes. these things do line up, as you said in a minute ago, time and space. It is worked out. And it's fascinating that the descendants will pick up the battle, you might say. So you've got Agog, an Amalekite, who was actually, and that's one reason he and, really, and he. Uh, Agar goes back. The Amalekites were the ones who refused passage to the yeah, people of Israel right. as they were coming in, in the wilderness and attacked them, I believe. They did, yes. Uh-huh. They, and especially so, the weak and the stragglers. Yes, and so that we see. Uh, and then later on, th- so there was this animosity evidently from yes. long history. That's actually one of the questions that we ask and we get to it. I was going to bring up something very interesting because one of the questions you ask is, why does the Amalekites, Haman, who's a descendant of Agag, why is he so so hateful towards Mordecai? Go ahead, let's, let's follow okay. that line of thought. Well, it's because of this. It's not because who, Jacob, what did he do? He bowed somewhat to Esau. 
Well, Mordecai is not is going to make up for that by not bowing to Haman, and so he's. And, but it's not just because he's being prideful and refusing to bow. Technically, it's because Haman how he dressed. He also wore on his clothes the sign of his god. So he was requiring Mordecai to bow to his god. So he refuses, and and basically Mordecai corrects a little error that Jacob might have done. Uh-huh. So, so this is all going. But you got these descendants. Were they conscious of this? You, sure. Of was course. Mordecai conscious of his heritage of and, and that Haman was from of that course. particular well, of course. lineage? And as how well? do? And I can prove it from the Book of Esther because while this is not a question, this is what happens. Remember the casting lots questions? Which yes. It's okay. Well, when they cast lots, you'll find in the English or in the, even in Hebrew, it says they cast a lot for each day, each month of the year. Mm-hmm. Well, why, does it, why is it telling us that? Because Haman wanted a date where it had been a great, great tragedy that happened to the Jews. Well, he picked, he finally, after throwing it many, many times, landed on the date that Moses died. Aha! But what he didn't know was it was also the same date that Moses was born. <laughs> okay. So were they conscious of this? Yes. And it's right in the book of Esther, yes. All right. Very, very, very interesting. Well, folks, this is part of, I guess part of two of what, of what we were talking about earlier. These kind of insights, these kind of thoughts, these understandings of, of, the, of the biblical narrative, how it ties together. They do. They tie together. That's one reason we do believe and understand that this is a, a book from God because of that consistency of message. Just think of this. You've got 66 different books written over a period of 1,400 years, different times, times of war, times of peace, times of plenty, times of scarcity, uh, times of exile, times uh, all these, and all these different this people. sounds like Ecclesiastes. A little bit. Time for this, a time for that. But, but you've got all these different people, these di- uh, kings. You've got... Uh, uh, fishermen, you got farmers, you got preachers, you've got all these different backgrounds of people who, who are speaking and writing, and all these different times and situations, and, and different languages, even uh, Greek, Aramaic, Hebrew, and and yet there's throughout these books there's this remarkable consistency of message, uh, touching hundreds of com- hundreds of contradictory and maybe even controversial topics, and yet. There's this consistency of message and, and this, this line, this and, and the redemptive plan of God. There's this scarlet thread through it all that shows how God does indeed love us, that He, that the sinful nature of man, and that God has made a provision for us, and that we can indeed know Him and experience God in our lives here and for eternity. That's the essential message. Sometimes I think that message gets lost in the details of all these things that we talk about. But there shouldn't be any real contradiction. I guess that's the point, is that if you do truthfully go into the Scriptures as God's Word, what you're going to find is this amazing consistency. It, it, it's just astounding that well, the and message... And, the thing, and I don't want to pick on anybody in particular, because it can occur among Anywhere. rabbis or preachers. But what troubles me a great deal is when I hear somebody make statements and say things that you know that I know are not correct. And it's not so bad that they've made a mistake. The hazard is they're teaching other people that don't know. And they start relying on it. And then the people walk out thinking they've got a piece of information that's really incorrect. I tell our teachers that all the time, Jacob. We we have, as you know, uh, 
a, an incredible opportunity that God has opened up for our lives and for our ministry in that we uh, we teach uh, about 1,500 to 2,000 young men and women, young American men and women going into the United States Air Force every Sunday morning. We get a chance to meet them and, and for for during the time of basic training and to teach them about God's Word and teach them about uh, the Scriptures. And, and, of course, we... We don't go into exotic doctrines, and we don't chase rabbits. And so we really focus on those fundamental, basic truths that that all believers, to some degree at least, I think we have in common. There are most believers have in common those those fundamental, not the controversial, the different ones about you know uh, foot washing or, or or this. Or should we baptize by immersion? Or should we baptize by sprinkling? Or that I mean, those questions have importance. They have their place. Uh, but we try to focus on those really essential truths that would help a believer to to walk in confidence with the Lord, experience the Lord in his life, and, and grow, continue to grow in that relationship. But I'm all the time t- uh, telling them that about uh, the Scriptures, how important the Scriptures are to us. I- and yet, again, sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm a little confused about... The greatest people in heaven, you know, if we think about heaven sometimes, who's going to be? It might be some Down syndrome, simple Down syndrome child or some simple person or some some uh, elderly woman that just gave herself wholly and entirely to worshiping God and praying and seeking God's faith. I mean, and they may be uneducated. They may not know a lot of Hebrew and Greek and all the deeper meaning of the deeper meaning that we talk about. Uh, so sometimes I'm a little I'm a little wondering about the value and we know the scriptures even talk to us about study to show yourself worthy of god you know to, to we we need to study the scriptures we need to know the word we need to study deeply but on the other hand there is a level of spirituality that comes not just from studying but obeying the word and trusting god and and with a heart that's yielded wholly yielded to him and so i struggle between those a lot with or I think it's, intellectualism yeah. on one side, understanding, yeah. and on the other side, the real, the real important thing is to experience God and truly experience Him and know Him and and live for Him. I, well, I'm know, not sure the the two are directly related. Well, to each other. I think you can go off the deep end either way. You can Good. go off, become so intellectual that you know you don't know anything about the spiritual aspect or you can become so heavenly minded you're no earthly good well <laughs> i was not going to put it that way but that's the idea sure i've heard but, you that know one. when people say that i'm always concerned like in our example i'm not picking on catholics but uh in the book when you've got the two if it wasn't for the truthfulness of the catholics saying that we've added these verses and here's the second version you would not know and if they were not being honest about it, you would read it and think that's what it said. So you wouldn't know if it's right or not. And that's why it's so important for somebody to have integrity and honesty. And, and thank goodness that the Catholic Bible actually does identify that it added all those verses. Because otherwise, you don't know. So as you read it, you can read the original and then read what was added. But if they weren't honest about it, you would not be able to discern what's really there and what's not supposed to be there. Yeah. Honesty, I... I I think that's at the basis of everything. Uh, even the struggles we have today in our country about fa- fake news and false news, and you know CNN this and the battle between Trump and CNN and all this. We and a lot of that is hype that is generated by the networks to get listenership. Of course, gen- that's how they make their living, and we understand that. And of course, that's part of the discussion as well. But 
we do have the same struggle today about, you know, who do we listen to? What's where, where is God in all of this? And how then should we live as the people of God in this this hostile environment? We live in a more a, a closed system in a world system that's closed. I mean, it doesn't mean that God doesn't do miracles and things can't happen that he does. Things well, according to Esther, he's involved in everything, even if you don't know it. Exactly. And so God is here. But at the same time, uh, it's a closed system, uh, generally speaking. In other words, a bullet that's heading toward a, uh, an innocent child or, or a, 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 a godly Christian man or woman, a bullet headed toward them doesn't turn into a marshmallow just because they're a believer. Or, uh, you know, good thing, bad things happen to good people and, and vice versa. It's a, it's a closed system, essentially, mm-hmm. governed only by morally neutral natural laws. And, and it's, so it's messy down here. Good people suffer, good, bad people sometimes prosper, and they get mixed up, and they, get, they bounce around hitting each other and bumping into each other. And, and so it's complex, and that's, of course, what the Bible, the Bible paints that same world. It, it, it's, it's not a world where everybody's all good, and King David is the perfect, he's a man after God's own heart, but he committed adultery, he committed murder in a sense, the, his, his commanding officer. I mean, it doesn't cover up the warts and the problems of its of its. Uh, heroes in there in the scriptures so we we have yeah. those two worlds if i were writing the jewish bible myself i probably would have made the jews look a lot better <laughs> boy they certainly did not cover up their uh, no does anybody ever showed their all their pimples and bruises they did they did moses to take any of them you know uh, moses uh, david but you know, any of their heroes speaking of that because i want to touch on something because you're talking about esther you know in corinthians Everybody knows that there's a great sin listed in chapter 5, and uh, Paul mentions it, and he starts off, and I I was going through it today, and I spent some time looking up and doing a lot of research. Uh, uh, Are you talking about there was this moral problem in the church there that some one, some man, I don't know if he's an elder or a leader, but Uh some prominence at least, he's living with his father's mother and... It's a very difficult. It says he has his father's <coughs> sexual immorality. So, yeah. And I thought then, then the common reading is like he said it. So like I said, it's sort of like saying, oh, yesterday Adam Baum was up. Breakfast will be at nine. <laughs> be sure you bring your toothbrush. He moves from that topic. Yeah, but to he another. doesn't. When I went down through it, I found chapter five where that verse occurs about the having the the white the it's moral, moral problem in the it church, goes yeah. all the way through chapter 11 he doesn't drop it all the reference to about the food because aphrodite i, I really did a lot of studying there about her religion how it worked and corinth was the center of the worship yes. of aphrodite did you know the temple there, there. two hundred and fifty thousand citizens in corinth there were four hundred thousand slaves so I, I started looking at this very closely to see uh, who's paul talking to the uh, they're obviously Christian, but are they slaves or are they citizens? But then when I got over to chapter 10 of Corinthians, so it really started making it click for me because I read the whole thing. I found two references to Jewish stuff out of the Torah. Mm-hmm. And I, Which it, should not surprise us, right? Probably mm-hmm. should not surprise us. It just should surprise Paul is us. a Jew, by the way. And, 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 well, yeah. probably, yeah. <laughs> he's, uh, he's got his card, you know. And... Uh, <laughs> So, everybody, listen, and you know the story, and this is a famous story, it's in chapter 10. And it's talking about uh, when they hit the rock, and the rock was Christ, he mm-hmm. says. Well, he doesn't mean the rock was actually Christ. He's saying that it's this is the symbolism I'm trying to teach you, mm-hmm. is like hitting Christ. Because Christ 
died for your sins, is what Paul is saying. So therefore, you should understand it's similar to Moses when he hit the rock. Striking the rock instead of speaking, as well, he had been instructed. But remember, there are two times mm-hmm. it happens. The first time, Moses was told to hit the rock. Mm-hmm. But when does that take place? It takes place after they had just left Egypt. Mm-hmm. The going through the, the wilderness is the building of the faith. Mm-hmm. When does God say, just before they go into the land of Israel, God says, speak to speak it. Speak to the rock. So you've had this time to build your faith. You don't have to do this no more. You talk to it. When you started out, you had to do things rougher because you didn't know, but you've hmm. traveled for okay. 40 years. Mm-hmm. So that's what it's going on here. But, and then and over here, he, uh, Paul, mm-hmm. he's using that for a lesson. And he says, look, when they hit the spiritual rock, it's in 10.4. Uh, it says, uh, and they all drank from the same spiritual drink. They were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them. The rock was Christ. He's trying to make the analogy. He's mm-hmm. not saying he, Christ was a rock. Mm-hmm. Uh, which but, is not the first time that's been used. Right, but, sure. Yeah. So what he's saying, he's saying, look. It's just like before you had Paul is trying to teach them, before you had Jesus, his, the Christ, mm-hmm. you had uh, you had no faith. Now you've got it. So now it's just like when he, the first time Moses didn't have it, he hit the rock, and then God speak to it, and he should have just spoken to it, because now they're at the completion of the journey. They're just now going to cross over into Israel. So there's something in a rock. It goes totally against the rock's nature to give water either way. And the lesson there is that we shall not ever hit rocks, uh, nor do we have to talk to them. (laughs) But the point is, is that it's something that you can take. God can make things, do things. It seems to be against their nature. That's the lesson that Paul's trying to teach. Now, listen, the one that really caught me today, though, when it started falling in place for me, what Paul's really saying is in 10. I'm losing my headphones here. Let's see here. Um, ten, Don't uh, lose your microphone. That's what we're... T- ten, eight. Mm-hmm. Now let us act immorally. For some ten. of them did, and we lost 20, th- not act immorally. Because yeah, was, and we must not, yeah, not. engage in because sexual immorality. They lost 23,000. But it does, if you don't know what that's talking about, you'll miss the illusion. The, you know what that's talking about, Soapy? Um, is that talking about whenever they... Uh, the 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 idol the golden idol when Moses nope, is coming nope, down okay no, no. this is twenty three thousand of them die in, in the wilderness was that talking about uh, when they uh, the sexual immorality with the uh, with uh, the midnight women was, yeah the yeah. midnight women yes yeah. under under uh, right. Balaam's yes there you go and remember Balaam figured I said I I can't get these Jews to sin. But I can use sex, uh-huh. and they'll do it on their own. And then God will get them for me because God's not going to tolerate these people being unholy. And so, and that falls in line with some of the things we looked at in Nehemiah and Ezra uh-huh. in their warning to the people of Israel, the returning exiles about sexual immorality and involvement but, uh, involvement with pagan, non-believing wives. It, it, well, it, it does kind of lead. It does, to sure. And then what happens is the, the way Paul's using this, he's saying, look, this all the way back to chapter five. This guy's taking his mother or his wife's, mm-hmm. uh, his father's wife. Is what's happened to the Jews? You've had the rules that Jesus taught you. Mm-hmm. The Jews had the rule, rules that God taught them, but the sex was how they got to them. 
And you know what? This is exactly what's happening to you by allowing this guy to be among your congregation because, as he says, a little leaven leavens the whole loaf. He says that. Yes. And so exactly. he's, he's saying that's exactly what's going on here. That's why I started realizing this doesn't end in chapter 5 with one verse saying, oh, that's a terrible thing. It goes on and on. He's reasoning it out with him. Yes. Even though he's talking, he goes on to talk about food and, and eating food that was uh, sacrificed to idols and so on. And it looks like a complete change of topic. But what it you're does. saying is that, no, there is a li- line of logic there. He's. Because when the, the at the temple prostitutes, all these people, by the way, uh, of the 400,000, many men, males and females were forced by their owners to be temple prostitutes. I'm going to be delicate about this, but how is it? It certainly can be considered an improvement of child sacrifice. But you see, when they used to do child sacrifice, that was pretty as horrible, pretty bloody myths. Mm-hmm. So they Evidently, they figured out a way that the idea is if you have sex and ejaculate, you're still killing the sperm. So it's still a form of child sacrifice. Now, what's important about that? Aphrodite, which we get the word aphrodisiac from today, Mm -hmm. uh, comes from the idea that she, because of her fertility, she made their food mm. grow. Mm. So when you're taking communion with her, you're honoring that way of worshiping that God. And that's what that's all about. And hoping so to get a it's, good crop yeah, it's not the food that was the problem. It was a tech, because as you know, someplace, you can probably tell me where, uh, it's just said that, well, all food is good, mm-hmm. there's nothing that's bad. Mm-hmm. So it's not the food, it's that the idea that the food is being supposedly produced by temple prostitutes, because Aphrodite, she was married to one of the other gods. However, she was did not keep her vows. And therefore, she became the model and the inspiration for all other women uh, in that particular religion. When we come back, we'll continue the line, and we're going to talk. come back to this topic again of how then should we live today? What do these books teach us? I You're listening to The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. With with Jacob, uh, nights like this, I'm particularly and especially grateful for his presence as we make our way through the scriptures each year discussing and, and studying. We're now in the books of Esther in the Old Testament we read this past week. And then also the book of First Corinthians, Paul's letter. There are four letters, actually, he wrote to the Corinthians, and we have two of those called First and Second Corinthians. And uh, we've, we've uh, made the case tonight that there was a, there was a real strong link, linkage in, in these two different stories, the different times, hundreds and hundreds of years apart, separating them. But they're both about how the people of God should work and function and what does a God at work in the midst of uh, 
situations where God's people are caught in hostile environment, hostile political, hostile social, or even religious environments. And so we see that in Esther, uh, the people of God now in Persia, and they're being threatened. Uh, the redemptive plan of God is at risk as, as uh, we see the enemy here working to cut off the lineage, even the uh, the messianic lineage of the, uh, the people of Israel and as they're used as a, as a as a, an instrument by God to reveal himself and to bring about the redemptive plan. And we see that in Esther, and we see that in Corinthians. Uh, the, here are the in the infant church there that, yeah, they're in hostile environment. This is a huge city, a port city, very wealthy city. It's the headquarters for the worship of, of uh, Aphrodite uh, and, and other temples as well there. And they have these problems of immorality in the congregation, of of uh, the controversy about meat uh, sacrificed to these idols, to these uh, gods of, of uh, fertility and so on. And, and, and Jacob is just as, as sensitively as he could, tried to give us a picture of that going on there. And so we have this picture of Paul speaking to them from the Hebrew Scriptures with this reference from uh, from the people of Israel in the Old Testament, this same battle how God got, uh, how the enemy got them to compromise their faith in God through sexuality, through uh, the Midianite women. Uh, remember Balaam and, and his, that was his solution uh, that we're talking about there. So there is this link in all of these different passages. There's this string, this consistency of message in all of these books. It, it's, a, it's a great example of what I mentioned at the beginning of the program. But let's go now, Jacob, to, let's go now to more specifics. we uh, I hope people know the 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 actual fundamental story of the book of Esther is uh, is that the people of Israel there in in Persia under Xerxes um, this they had this very influential enemy of the people of God named named Haman who is a descendant of uh, Ah Agar uh, the Amalekite people he hates the people of Israel deep resentment Mordecai is a descendant of not only is he Jewish himself, but he's a descendant of Saul, this Saul. first king. Yeah. Who, and who, Saul's a descendant of what what tribe? Benjamin. You got it, Sophie. And so that we yeah. see this this message again, the yeah. consistency, and we see how that uh, the people of God are threatened. Uh, Haman is the instrument, but Mordecai refuses to bow before him, and he becomes hated. Then he gets honored because he. He saved uh, the. Uh, there was a plot to assassinate the emperor, and and Mordecai. It would put in the official records that he had a place in that in that in saving the emperor, and so miraculously or coincidentally, uh, without reference to God, we see God at work because uh, this emperor reads. He happens to have insomnia one night. He can't sleep, so he and he happens to read the record of Mordecai's place in in. How he helped save his life from this assassination and, and, plot. And Sophie, I, may I just interject? I want to go back to mm-hmm. December. There's one thing I want to say. There's four or five places I've caught it in reading the New Testament, as the Christians call it. Mm-hmm. I don't know that it's new, but anyway. So, <laughs> uh, the uh, anyway. So, um, but I do. There's one here that you know how people, and you may have heard this. The Torah, of course, five books written, five books, and the Jews have what they call the Oral Torah. And that all time, many times, gets criticized. And actually, it got. It's uh, called the it's Kabbalah. Be, no, 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 that no, that has didn't get so many Jews are dying. They did write it down. It became the Mishnah, the Talmud. Oh, I see. <clears throat> but it used to be the Oral Torah. Okay, it was passed on orally and taught orally. 
Well, I found four, four places, and tonight is one of them. And uh, <clears throat> if you, uh, it's in the First Corinthians chapter, uh, uh, chapter eleven. Am I right? Yes, chapter eleven, verse two. Okay. And it is fascinating. There's only about four places this is addressed. Eleven two. Wait, want to see what it says from your version? I am so glad that you always keep me in your thoughts and that you are following the teachings I passed on to you. Wait, but there is one look, thing I want you to that. know. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. No, but I wanted to catch up. Kept the teachings I passed on. But uh-huh. Go ahead. There's, but if there's one thing I want you to know: the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man. Yeah, and so but what he's saying is, there's some things that's not written here. I taught you orally. Mm-hmm. And so the Christians had oral teachings too. Mm-hmm. And because in this version I'm looking at, NASB, it says, Now I praise you because you remember in the everything that I taught you and hold firmly to the traditions as which I delivered to you. So there's things not written here that he was orally saying. So I've, I, and I'll be honest with you, I've identified about four of those in, mm-hmm, the, mm-hmm. in the Christian scriptures because this is one of them because it's clear that he was teaching something above and beyond what's written here. Uh-huh. And I always try to remind people of the fact that Paul did actually live in Corinth a good period of time yes. uh-huh. and that uh, that's where he met Aquila and Priscilla. This, he was a tent maker there. He had a job. Uh, living there and teaching for a period, of, a good period of time. So there was a lot of his teaching that he didn't have to repeat in the letters because he knew right. he had told them. Right. And uh, there were there are two other letters that are mentioned uh, that we don't have them. But you said something earlier that you may have a a thought about those letters. No, uh, maybe I, maybe I'm wrong. But uh, he mentions that you know I wrote you in an earlier letter and so on. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, let's let's go to that question. Okay. I don't want us to run out of time. Because there is about a there is a similarity, as you're saying, between Esther and Corinthians. And it's always remarkable to me how you say you don't do it on purpose, but when you put those together, they do come out with a consistency. Because Esther is really meant to tell us, even if you don't say God's name, He's involved, and especially with this promise to the Jews, He was making them survive. Even though there is a hint, as you said, when He says something about. Uh, uh, you may have been preserved for exactly this time, and if you don't do it, Mordecai says to Esther, somebody else will. So he's talking that God's still involved here. That's certainly mm-hmm, suggested, mm-hmm. but it's hidden because the word sure. Esther means hidden. Well, that's that's highlighted throughout the Hebrew Scriptures mm-hmm. as we look at the people of Israel in in, in Egypt, mm-hmm. remember, and how God gets Joseph down there and it get, brings Joseph to prominence and there to power. We see God. Sure. God is... He is he is kind of uh, escorting his plan. He's carrying out his plan uh, above and beyond. You know, just human. He, he doesn't he doesn't infringe upon the free will of individuals. But he he has his people here. He uses his people who have given themselves to him and his purposes, and he uses it, and he's doing that. So we see that throughout the scriptures. But particularly in Esther, it's very well highlighted. God is work. He's present here. Uh, Esther asked for. He said, "Have the people pray for me." Because I'm going to go in, I'm going to do this risky thing, and so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so there's a lot of details we could get into the book of Esther uh, about how it happened and what happened. But I'd like, if we could, to come down both right. Esther and Corinthians right. to yeah. what does it tell us about today? So the one thing it would say today is that with all this fear and all this uh, hand-wringing about, oh, 
uh, America. The, you know, you know, I want to go is, back to Scott's statement okay. that you said at the beginning. Yeah, go ahead. Scott told you, what did he say about he you? Said, we don't know what to Dad, believe. Dad, the challenge for your generation was uh-huh. to know what to believe. The challenge we have now today in our generation is to know uh, is to know who to believe. Yeah. Which, which of all these That's voices? That's what's going on. Esther, yeah, because you got the two versions. Do we believe Fox News or do we believe CNN? Do we believe? <laughs> well, I, I, nobody said this. I want you to know this is an original with me. But if I told you to pronounce CNN as a word, how would you pronounce it? Oh, I don't want to say sin. It. <laughs> okay. All right. So I made that up. Okay. Okay. But what I want to say is, but in Corinthians, what we're seeing is the same type of story being repetitively told. So God's always involved, Esther. Yes. But the same sequence of events continually get replayed and so in our world today we're doing the same thing and it's based on what scott said i think i really like that Mm -hmm. because it's a syncretism a combining somehow it's okay to have uh what i call it christa christalama or whatever they call Mm -hmm. it you know the islam and and if you try to make it synchronism and try to combine all these different religions you end up with nothing Mm-hmm. And so what that is, is they're actually trying to say, look, God's always involved, but you're the one that's trying to bring in, in Corinthians, all this stuff, but the acts of human beings are continually being repeated. And that's what's going on in our society today. We don't know what's right because we don't read, we don't study, and forgive me, but the rabbis and many preachers do not know themselves. Yeah, as a society, as a culture, we've moved away from the authority of, of this old book, God's Word. It had such a prominent place in our development, in our history, but we've moved away from that. And so one lesson is, even though things seem incredibly messy today in our in our culture, our society, and even in our world with uh, with North Korea, with Iran, with what's happening, and there, there's, there are all kinds of dangers out there and so on, and in our own culture and society, even though those things are all messy we can know and rest because of the message of Corinthians and Esther that God is still on his throne. He's still there. He is guiding. He's not up wringing his hands. He's not all panicked about, oh, what am I going to do? He is faithfully carrying out his plan and that we can take comfort from that on the one hand and being encouraged and emboldened by that to live out. To Okay, so what more does it tell us about how we should live we are God's people in exile today. We live, we're not in heaven yet. We're, we live in this world. And, and well, going we, back to what you said originally tonight when I got started, the Torah is not about heaven. The Torah was never intended to be about heaven. It has nothing to do with salvation, getting to heaven. That's not the Jewish view of the Torah. It never has been. I mean, there might be some guy in New Zealand that thinks that, but I don't know. But it is targeted toward God's people. It's targeted towards anybody that's God's people. Yeah, that's what I mean. But uh, but it's meant on how you're supposed to live as a godly person on earth. Mm-hmm. It's not about getting to heaven. Right. The, uh, Christianity concentrates very heavily on doing right to get to heaven and believing in Jesus, etc. That's fine. But the Torah is telling us how to do it. Mm-hmm. And last week when I, uh, I called in, well, I was talking about the, it's almost a cultural holocaust. You're my favorite caller, by the way. I just well, you're, you're my favorite person to call. <laughs> okay. uh, but, but the point is, because you see, even back in Esther's time, the Jews were split up in different pockets. They were becoming assimilated. The danger of that assimilation is not that it's different than Christians. 
The danger is that they're no longer keeping the covenant to do what they promised God they would do on these laws of mm-hmm. God. Mm-hmm. That's the danger. It doesn't. And that's actually what syncretism is. Is where yeah. we, and, and to some degree, what we're doing is God's people. Uh-huh. The people of the book here right. in our own culture, right. we're letting the culture and the society right. mores and the changing uh, morality of the culture and all. We're letting that come in and change the right. w- what us and the way it w- it's supposed to be the other way around. We we stick firmly to God's word, what right. God says, God's values, God's laws, God's commands, and here we stand. We can do. We cannot be moved. We're going to. And that's the clash. That's the the culture war that's going on to, right. in its most basic form. Sure. I think it's not, it's more than just Democrats against Republicans. Uh, all we of don't even know. Part of we it, don't but. even know what's right anymore. You know, mm. I I had a conversation with a lady, and she said, "Well, you know, it's it's okay. Maybe prostitution was a way that women could gain economic freedom." And I said, "Let me ask you a question: Is that a good way to live?" And, of course, her answer was, well, it depends what you mean by good. And I said, you know what I mean. It's not a good way to live because what happens Even is... Even if you get rich and you're prosperous and you're successful, no. it's not... It does something to you as a human being. <laughs> Giving, uh, becoming owned and controlled. And that's a lot of the temple prostitutes were actually slaves. Mm-hmm. And so it was unfair. But when you combine that religion with the religion of the Bible, of God, and you try to make them fit... That's what was Paul was talking about in Corinthians. And what we're trying to do, I think, in society today is we don't even know for sure what's right and what's wrong. So we're, not, so we're trying to decide our problems without knowing right from wrong. Does that make any sense? Yeah. And, and Paul talks about comparing ourselves with ourselves. And we, so we end up not knowing there's no authority. There's no uh, – it reminds me of a story Bill Bright used to tell I uh, hope I can tell it quickly about a guy looking for a job, and he's looking everywhere. He's trying. He's desperate, and a friend tells him, "Hey, go out to the zoo. I think they're hiring people." And so he goes to the zoo, and and uh, he tells the director, "I'm looking for a job." He said, "Well, we don't have any really normal jobs, but we do have one exceptional opportunity. Uh, you see, our main attraction here at the zoo is the gorilla, and the gorilla died." Our gorilla died two or three weeks ago, and we haven't told anybody, but we're trying to solve it. We've had a lot of meetings to try to figure out what to do. And one of our ideas was uh, we thought we'd hire somebody to dress up like a gorilla and, and play the role of the gorilla, and that would buy us some time to gather money, find another gorilla to buy, and so on. So maybe we could work for two or three months, and I don't know if you'd be interested in that job or not. And he said, oh, yeah, anything. I'll do it. So he dresses up, and you know, he wears the gorilla costume, and... That's his job now. He he becomes the gorilla at the zoo. And and about two weeks into the job, he, he discovers this is my gift. This is my calling in life. He has latent talent, you know, and so he really takes it to heart. And he begins to, you know, he studies the movements of the gorilla and so on. And uh, he m- notices the more he moves around, the more people come. And so he, he does well. People come back and see him. The crowds build and he gets a raise. And then he saw that his pen, his cage, was right next to the lion pit. Uh-huh. And the lion pit was, so he thought, hmm. So he had him put in a rope over the lion pit, and he would swing across part of his act then. He would swing across the lion pit, teasing the lions, and they were growling, trying to get him. And, and the people just loved it. They would come. Huge crowds came to see this, and television and, and you know, uh, came out, and newspapers to report on it and all. And it was a big success. But one weekend he's out there doing his act, and you guessed it already. You're kind of smart. What happens is the rope breaks. He falls down into the lion pit. 
Well, he stays in character, and he's trying to back away. He doesn't want to lose, you know, the job, you know, so he stays in character. And, but he's looking for a door or a ladder or some way out, but he's backing up, backing up, and the lions are gathering around him, surrounding him. Pretty soon they have him backed into a corner, and there's no escape. And the male lion comes out and roars, rears up in front of him, roars, roars, you know, and he just can't take it anymore. Help me, help me, help me, he cries. You know, Somebody get me out of here. And all of a sudden, a voice comes out of the lion's mouth and says, shut up, you fool, or we'll all lose our jobs. <laughs> I, I, I like it because that's sometimes what we, we do when we, we forget, uh, you know, we don't have the right authority. We just sort of start playing religiosity. We start playing the game of, of uh, uh, doing our different roles. And it seems to me that to some degree that's where we are in our, in our culture. We... In our faith, a lot of it, we're we're still going through the motions. We're attending the class and all, but we're not. We don't really have a handle on how then shall we live? What should we What should we do? How should a Christian or a godly person? Uh, how should we live in this culture? What should be our stance? What should we be doing? Uh, and, and that's kind of what I wanted to come to. What do we learn from these books about? Well, the one thing I'm getting is that. Esther, God's always involved, even if you can't see him. Mm-hmm. And in Corinthians, I'm getting the Comforting, idea. Comforting, encouraging. We need that. Well, we're going to continually be human beings. We're going to keep repeating the same stories over and over. And, you know, the old thing that's on Voltaire's statements on the Lincoln Memorial, people that do not know history are doomed to repeat it. Yes. And so that's what I'm getting out of this, is that we're doing the same thing as Paul's saying to Corinthians. You guys are doing the same thing the Jews did in the wilderness with the midnight women. You're destroying yourselves because of sex and whatever. And so you're doing the same things. And the same thing is, kind of, I think, kind of going on. We all know about the health care debate. Uh, nobody, nobody wants, everybody loves to have everybody have health care. But the issue is, how do we pay for it? We don't even know how to make those judgments because we're trying to learn right from wrong as we're trying to make the judgments. And I have found for myself... And God's Word does speak to these kinds of things. It actually does. Yes. And and it's just a constantly revelation of repeating and repeating. By the way, you ever heard Jews say, yada, yada, yada? Yes, yes, of course. That just means, say it again, say it again, repeat it, repeat it, repeat it, (laughs) yada, 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 yada. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. But so you got the same story, and Paul's making that point. Look, you're doing the same thing all over again. And because you can't judge right from wrong, you keep repeating the same errors. I think that's what's going on in America. Yeah, and, and we need to come back to the, what are these. And another lesson we can learn from uh, Esther, not only the affirmation that God is there. He's not on vacation somewhere. He's not an absentee landlord. He's mm-hmm. there. He's engaged. He's carrying out his will. But I, I would say another principle is that God's people, and particularly God's leaders, uh, their job is to know God well enough and see the hand of God and mm. lead the people. In, in in other words, yes, I have faith that God is working, but where is God working in America today? What 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 is His purpose in having Donald Trump be the president of the United States? What is God's purpose in bringing us to? In some of the, in other words, it shouldn't be so complicated that we can't figure it out. I, I hope I hope I'm not being simplistic, but there's. I think pastors and, and godly rabbis and leaders, spiritual leaders and cultural leaders that are in touch with, with God's truth and so on, they should have solutions. They should be able to tell us, show us, okay, this is what God is saying. This is the direction we should go. This is, 
Isn't that another principle that we yeah. get out of Esther? That's what Mordecai says, you know. I, lead, th- I think it's out. a continuous struggle between it's our choice. Do we want to be a human being, a spiritual being, if you like, or an animal? If we want to be an animal, we can live like an animal. Ignore God's laws. Animals will do whatever they want to do. You can perform a wedding ceremony with two cocker spaniels. They will not keep their vows. The difference is a human being knows to do it. Mm -hmm. And so when you go back and you actually look at the beginning of Genesis, that's what it is. You're given two choices. It doesn't say you're made in God's image. It says you're making his image and his likeness. So you're two parts, spiritual and physical. And so what's happening is you got your choice. There's your free will. Do you want to be an animal or do you want to be a human being that's got the ability to make rational judgments between good and bad? Mm-hmm. And it's that constant playing out. And that went through with the Jews and the midnight women. It's going play in Corinthians. The same thing's going on. It's over and over. It's a struggle. Even Paul has said, I, I read this in Paul's writings, I forget where. He says, I do what I don't want to do, and I don't know why I do it. What he's talking about Romans is the 8, old yeah. Jewish, it's Romans 8, okay? Mm-hmm. The old Jewish tradition is that the struggle is between my animal self and my spiritual self. And it's there. And he's actually, when I read that, I, it's Romans 8, you say. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, I always read it, and I think, I know what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. Because you were made to be both physical and spiritual. I always ask you, well, does anyone else ever experience that? And everybody raises their hand. Because we've all, the things I want to do, I can't do. And the things yeah. I don't want to do, yeah. I do them anyway. And I, I'm struggling with that old nature, those old impulses. Well, those, you those you know the famous thing nature. with uh, the prayer that Jesus does, I think it's in Matthew, about uh, the will of God, which will be mm-hmm. done on earth as it is in mm-hmm. heaven. Mm-hmm. Look really close what he's saying. What will? In Psalm 40, verse 8, if my memory is working, it says, Your will on earth is to do God's laws. It says it. So as I'm reading that, he's saying, Look, God's laws on earth, on earth, as they're done in heaven. It's your job to do God's laws on earth. And that's all the Torah is about. You know, one of the things that complicates the application for our times is that Esther did not live in a democracy. No. Uh, they lived in a, an absolute dictatorship. There was a there was a an emperor and he, yeah. and so on, and neither did Paul. I mean, the Roman Empire controlled everything, yeah. <clears throat> and so in Jesus in his ministry, they're all teaching God's laws and God's presence and God's power, yep. in the middle of <clears throat> hostile uh, leadership, hostile systems, and, and it, which is always interesting to me for, because Paul, for example. Actually, in Romans 12, talks about the fact that you should obey the, the civil authorities, that you should be keep the laws, the civil laws, and drive the speed limit, and do the, don't you know we should we should not um, within limits. Uh, he, he does. There is the idea that if they if they tell us not to obey God and not to disobey God, there is civil disobedience. But the whole point is that we recognize that the authority comes from mm-hmm. God, that He is guiding in culture and society. We should, in the main, we should be law keepers and, and, and in Texas good too. citizens. In Maine, Texas. In right. Texans. <laughs> Although sometimes there's a conflict between a Texan and American, I think. But anyway, uh, the, the point I'm trying to say is that they didn't live in that in an, a democracy. An added complication for us, I think, I don't know, maybe, it's, maybe it makes it more simple, is that we are to some degree responsible for the leaders that we have. You know, you know what, do you know what Abraham Lincoln said about that? Tell me. This is a quote. He said, generally, people, people get the kind of leader that they're entitled to. 
<laughs> I know. That scares me to death sometimes. But I, I, he probably acts. I've thought the thought myself, uh. even apart from uh, that reference. But that, then how then should we as citizens that's live, we vote, we're involved, we're engaged? Uh, right. Well, the answer is always be the kind of man you'd like to have for a father. Say it again. Be the kind of man you would like to have for a father. That's his sign-off. Thanks for being with us tonight, people. We'll see you next Sunday night here on The Bible Line. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping restore the Bible to our culture and is brought to you by Crew Military Ministry. Mailing address is P.O. Box 18888. That's Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas, 78218. Hear the entire Bible every year on The Bible Live, weeknights at 930 on this great station. Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on The, the Bible, Bible Live Quiz Show. Visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and the Bible Live broadcast. You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help crew military minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.